biggest news, the biggest reaction from the biggest sports. We've got your sporting fix covered all in one place. You're listening to the Sports Bubble. Yes, hello. Welcome back to the Sports Bubble, your all-in-one sports podcast, bringing you the biggest news from the biggest sports. Coming up on today's show, we talk the Exeter Chiefs after they completed a historic League and European double at the weekend against Wasps. Where do they rank amongst the other great English teams to do the same? We've also got Formula One discussion as Lewis Hamilton surpassed Michael Schumacher in terms of race wins to further his case as being the best driver of all time. Is Hamilton the greatest British athlete ever, though? Rory certainly doesn't seem to think so. Man City were held by West Ham at the weekend. Is Pep Guardiola under pressure for his job now? And who could possibly replace him? But first, we're starting with last night's game between Spurs and Burnley. It was once again High Min Son who scored the goal, assisted by Harry Kane, as Spurs won 1-0 to move up to fifth in the table. Remarkably, that was the ninth time already this season that Kane and Son have combined, and the 29th time in total, second behind Lampard and Drogba on 36 on the all-time list so I suppose the first question has to be with this where do Kane and Son rank in terms of duos to play in the Premier League you've got to consider some of the other ones in there you've got your David Silva and Sergio Aguero there's Darren Anderton and Teddy Sheringham in there there's obviously Robert Perez Thierry Henry where do they rank for you then Rory? Well they've got to be up there I think I think just the fact that they've seemingly posted these unbelievable numbers under the radar doesn't negate what they've actually managed to managed to achieve. I mean, one one other duo I'd like to add to that list would be Steven Gerrard and Fernando Torres uh, doing absolutely incredible things at Liverpool for those years. But I think honestly, this season they just teams just don't really seem to have an answer for them, do they? I think Harry Kane is playing the best football of, I've seen of him ever play in his career, and that he's not only he's he's seemingly seemingly evolved from being well he was already an outstanding goal scorer and now he's added this new element to his game where he's constantly looking to bring in son or whoever else might be on the end of his passes he's one of the best passes of the ball that we, that we're actually seeing in the premier league at the minute and i think these assists seem to keep coming it's every game it's just, it's not even a question of whether one of them will score it's just a question of when and I think it's brilliant to see these two players who it's sort of quite an unlikely combination considering it's a lot of those that you mentioned would be like a midfield player and a striker. With these two, you've got a wide player and a, and a striker. So it's interesting that those two are on the list. I think the numbers speak for themselves. Do you not think it's a misleading statistic though, this one? Because we're talking about best duos of all time, but the statistics we're using for this one are purely how many times they've assisted each other, not how many goals combined that they've scored, not the influence they've had in general, because otherwise surely we'd throw Henri and Burkamp into that category, we'd throw Shearer and Sutton into that category, Rooney and Ronaldo into that category. We're just talking about how many times Kane's assisted Son and Son's assisted Kane. I mean, don't get me wrong, they, they are a great duo and... I think at times before this season, they've certainly been underrated. You've also got to consider as well that Harry Kane's only 27, Son's only 28. They've definitely got a few years left in them at the very least uh, to potentially surpass that Lampard and Drogba total. But I think this statistic is quite a misleading one when we're talking about the influence a duo has had, which is why I don't think you can say, well, the statistics say that they're second because they're not, they're not second. 
they're not a better duo than David Silva and Sergio well, Aguero. They're, they're, they're not a better duo than Rooney, Rooney and Ronaldo. It's one statistic not in their favour. They're not necessarily a better duo, but in terms of assisting each other, they are. If the, if the question is, are they the best duo of all time? In that a, was the question. In a, well, if they're not the best duo of all, of all time, are they? Like, I think um, you've got you've got to look at the the other sort of areas. But I think you you still at the same time can't take away what they've what they've been able to achieve this season and the years previous. I, I think you're right in that there's more to it. But in terms of assisting each other, the numbers just speak for themselves. Are they not? Let's change the question slightly and move away from that specific statistic and consider this season because last night again Burnley were pretty good against Tottenham for large parts of that game pretty unlucky not to come away with a point I would say but again as we've seen on countless times already this season it was Kane and Son who eventually came through for Tottenham and helped them get the three points a scrappy 1-0 win which pushes them up to fifth in the table We've spoken on previous podcasts how influential we think both Kane and Son are for Tottenham. Do we think they're the best duo in the Premier League this season? Are they the two best players in the Premier League this season? Is there anybody who you would rather have? Would you rather have Salah and Manning, for example? Would you rather Aguero and Sterling? Would you rather Martial and Rashford? You know, If you had to pick two players to play up front for you, surely it has to be Kane and Son, yes? Absolutely. No, without a doubt, they're the best. They're the best two. Um, without a doubt, they're the best duo in the league. I think you look around the Premier League and who is even... You, you can't even think of a duo that's having even remotely the success that these two have, have been having this season. I think when you look at the absolute state of the Premier League this season, all, all these clubs who we had high hopes for, who've just been in complete disarray. I mean... United, what what can you talk about Rashford and Rashford and Martial? Martial hasn't even scored this season, so we we can't compete with them. I mean, as much as I love Martial, that is, um, I think he's probably our best best attacking player. But he's yeah, I mean, I, there's no comp, there's no contest as as far as the the, the right here and the right now is concerned. I think you look at Chelsea. I mean, they've still. Maybe Havertz and Werner could be one one duo that could be phenomenal and and could be one of the best in the leagues for for years to come. But we haven't seen it quite yet, and we've not seen them really hit their stride yet. Salah and Mane, to be honest, I don't think that's even a duo. I think you've got to look at that as a front three with Firmino, because I think what Firmino does, I think there's no Salah and Mane without Firmino, and you've seen in the games where Firmino doesn't play. Yes, he's not exactly going to score twenty goals in a season or set the world on fire with his with his strike rate, but he does allow those two to do what they do. And I think credit to Klopp as well with the system that they're in. I think Son and Kane, without a doubt, are the best duo in the Premier League right now. And it's not even close. Let's just talk about Pep Guardiola for a second, because he's obviously won two Premier Leagues with Manchester City. A few years back, they were almost unbeatable. Undoubtedly one of the best Premier League sides ever. But they've struggled this season. They struggled in the Champions League at the end of last season as well. And I think a few Manchester City fans I've seen are actually starting to lose their tether with Guardiola a bit. So what do you think of him? Is it a case of it's unnecessary criticism, given the way the league's gone this season, given the fact that everybody seems to be beating everybody? Is Pep Guardiola getting too much stick? Or do you think he's maybe had his time with the club? He's done all that he can there. Is it time for a change there? Well, I don't think he's getting too much stick. I, I I think the criticism he's getting this season and in the last year or so, I think it's warranted. When you look at Manchester City, 
they had that remarkable season in 1718 when they posted when they they put up a hundred points, which had never been done before. And actually, they've been in they've been in steady decline since then. In the 18-19 season, they were able to win the league with 98 points, which is remarkable. But then, more interestingly, last season there was quite a seismic drop off from that after being after having 198 points in two seasons, which is just quite frankly astounding. And I don't know if that will ever be done again by by another Premier League side. After that, in last season, they they finished second, but there was quite a big gap between them them and Liverpool. They only had 81 points, which is the lowest since their, their well, since Pep's first campaign when, uh, I guess, so they have been, I think, since the start of last season, just not the same side quite that we had seen um, from 2017 to 2019. And I think, yeah, I think the start of this season has been less than ideal. Yes, we're seeing a much more open Premier League this season, but I'm sorry, but a Manchester City side, with all due respect to West Ham, you'd expect the amount of money they have with the players that they have and with the manager that they have, that they'd be able to comfortably beat West Ham. Or at least, and, and genuinely, when I watched that game, I don't think there was, uh, I, aside from the last 10, 15 minutes, I don't even think they looked like winning that game. And I think when West Ham seemingly went up, I thought they looked like the better team. And I think Man City were able to get that equaliser. and maybe towards the end they they made a push to win it but they didn't do enough to win that game and i just think is this really the manchester city that that we know that we've been that we've come to be familiar with that had 198 points in two seasons and were one of the best premier league sides we'd ever we'd ever seen i mean you mentioned the champions league as well which i think is a a, a key point the fact that pep guardiola hasn't won a champions league since he left barcelona the fact that when he took over at Bayern Munich, he took over a side that had literally just won a Champions League. And he responded by getting knocked out of three consecutive semi-finals of Bayern Munich. His time in, 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 in Munich was almost, it's almost debatable, the amount of success he actually had. Because yes, he won the league, but Bayern always win the league. They've won the last nine straight Bundesliga titles anyway. They did nothing in Europe. They, didn't, they fell short of their expectations. And since being at Manchester City they haven't made it past the quarterfinals. So I think there's definitely question marks there. Manchester City, it's been widely reported that I guess to really establish themselves as a European heavyweight and as one of the best clubs in the world, they really need a Champions League title. And that's still the same title that eluded them before Pep came is continuing to elude them now. You're right. They do need a Champions League title to cement their legacy as one of the best teams in Europe. They've won a number of Premier League titles now and the Champions League is something that the fans want. It's something that the club wants so desperately and I'd compare them to PSG in that sense. It almost seems now like, yes, the Premier League would be great, but the Champions League is the one that they really want. For me, though, I still think Pep is the best man for the job because when you consider who's out there to replace him, I don't think there's that many options. And I also think that Whilst this season has proven that Pep does make mistakes, I think there was a time a couple of years ago where it almost felt like City were unbeatable. It felt like nobody could outsmart Pep Guardiola, that he was just by far and away the greatest brain football I'd ever seen. And whilst I still think, in my personal opinion, he is the best manager there's ever been, 
yes, of course he can make mistakes. He's a manager. He's not going to get the team selection right every single game. And we saw against West Ham on Saturday, he got the team selection wrong. He was complaining midweek about fixture congestion, yet he played the exact same 11 on Saturday that he did on Wednesday. So obviously there were going to be signs of fatigue. Obviously City were probably going to struggle. Obviously West Ham were probably going to come out the traps a bit quicker. And we saw that. And that's why it took until the second half for City to come back into that game. But if you're looking at that game purely tactically, you've got to consider that when Aguero came off injured, you looked at who he could bring on. He could have brought on De Bruyne straight away. He could have put Sterling up front. He decided to bring Phil Foden on, play him in the false nine role. A very, very risky decision, something which, if it hadn't gone right, he could have been heavily, heavily critiqued for. But it was a masterstroke. It was exactly what City needed. Phil Foden controlled the game so much in that second half that he actually won man of the match, having only played 45 minutes of football. Completely changed the complexion of that game from one substitution. And that's what Pep Guardiola can do. That's something that only he can do that the likes of David Moyes couldn't do. And that's what separates them. And whilst City aren't as good as they used to be, that was always going to be the case. They were so, so dominant for two seasons that obviously teams were going to catch them up. It's the same with Liverpool last season. Liverpool were dominant. Now teams are starting to catch them up because that's the way football works. They're not just going to let teams stay miles ahead of them. Yes, City have lost a couple of players. David Silva, one of their greatest servants ever, has left them. Leroy Sane, a player who they thought they were probably going to have for around a decade, fell out with the club and has gone back or has gone to Bayern Munich. That's a big loss. They brought in a few players who, over time, could maybe go on to be the same calibre of players but aren't quite there yet. So they're almost in a period of transition. They've got Ruben Diaz, who they've just brought in as a record signing in defence. He's only had a few games there. He's going to take time to adapt. They brought in Nathan Ake who looked all right first couple of games of the season, but but got injured. Yes, they're not as good as they used to be, but honestly tell me who's going to come in and replace Guardiola, because I've seen a load of people saying Pochettino. What is that going to do? He plays exactly the same style of football. The only thing I can think of, if you're a City fan, is you want to improve that defence, because Guardiola, however however good he is as an attacking manager, however, however much of a genius he is when it comes to attacking... His biggest weakness has always been defensively. Can he make players better defenders in the same way he can make them better attackers? And the jury, I suppose, is still out on that one because he has spent a lot of money on that City defence. But you've got to give these players time. And if you don't want to give Guardiola time, you've got to bring in a manager who's going to improve that defence. And Pochettino's not going to do that. Pochettino wasn't renowned for his defensive stability at Tottenham. So it almost seems stupid to replace the best attacking manager there's ever been with someone who plays a similar style of football. I don't know what you think. Is there any manager out there who you think could do the job that City need? I mean, going back to one thing, one of the things you said earlier... Do you, do you really think that drawing 1-1 with David Moyes and West Ham is a tactical masterclass, as, as you described it? No, I'm I mean, saying that City didn't look like getting anything from that game. They should be winning that game. At, at half-time, they would have gone into the dressing room and thought, look, we look toothless in attack. Who do we really have to bring on off the bench? Because they didn't have many striking options. And they decided to bring Phil Foden on and play him as a false nine. Not many managers would have done that. Not many managers would have adapted the way they were playing, the formation, and done that. And it worked brilliantly. It changed the complexion of the game. One substitution. I, I, and I agree with the words, but at the same time, I don't think it's a masterclass to say that when it, the end result is, draw, is drawing with David Moyes. But I think with regards to managerial alternatives, I, I, don't, I don't know, to be honest, who could... 
I don't think anyone could actually come into Manchester City and even assimilate what what or even um, do anything similar to what Pep Guardiola has done since taking over. I mean, it's an interesting one because I think this this is the first time since his first season where we're really genuinely starting to question his status as, as the club's manager and as, as the right man for the job. Because I remember in his first season, it was, his first season was a disappointment. There's no there's no real alternative way of thinking about that. They only had 78 points. They finished third. They didn't really look like even challenging for the title in that season. And it's interesting to see how they made so much progress um, the next season and were one of the best Premier League teams ever. I think when you look at alternatives, I sort of agree with you about Pochettino. I don't, I don't understand why you'd get rid of Pep Guardiola to replace him with with Pochettino, but I don't know. To be, to be quite honest, I don't, I, I don't even, I'm not even sure if Pep Guardiola is in a position where he should be sacked. I think the more, I think the issue here is more the fact that the Manche- Manchester City, Manchester City, I, I think will still be a top team, maybe a top four team. Um, I don't think they'll challenge for the title this season. But I just think that Manchester City side of, of two, three years ago that was breaking records and just doing things that no other Premier League team had done before and having a 100-point season, I don't think... I think that Manchester City is gone. I don't think that's there anymore. I think it's a different Manchester City that we're dealing with now, one that's still a good team and is going to finish in the top four. But I think I think... That team under Pep Guardiola peaked in 2017-18. I think that's when they peaked. I agree to an extent. Yes, they peaked in 2018 in the same way that Liverpool inevitably peaked last year. And we're already seeing that. And that happens with a number of sides. It's obviously, you know, we've spoken about City creating this dynasty under Pep Guardiola. And obviously all dynasties eventually come to an end. And I think what people don't consider is that maybe City aren't quite as good as they were a couple of years ago. They've lost a number of players. They've got defensive injuries at the moment. I mean, a lot of people aren't considering, I think, that their best centre-back Laporte has been out injured and what a difference he makes to the side. When Laporte plays, City are a completely different team. Also, you consider a couple of a couple of years ago, they still had Vincent Company, one of the best centre backs in Premier League history. So losing Company and having Laporte out injured, you know, it makes a huge, huge difference to that side. You know, it's always been a problem for all teams signing centre backs, other than Liverpool eventually striking gold with Van Dijk. We've seen it at every single big Premier League club. Arsenal have really struggled to sign good centre-backs recently. Manchester United are still crying out for that world-class centre-back. Chelsea still crying out for that world-class centre-back. They eventually went in for Thiago Silva, who's in his mid-30s now, just because there aren't there aren't that many options out there. And City have broken their transfer record again to bring in Ruben Diaz, and we'll see how that goes. But the main point I want to make is that maybe City aren't quite as good as they used to be, but other teams are getting better. And that is the difference that we're seeing. Pretty much every single Premier League side has improved, other than the teams that got relegated, obviously. But you've got to consider the teams that have come up as well. And teams like Leeds, then teams like Leeds, they're not just making up the numbers. Leeds are a very, very good footballing side. We saw that with their victory against Villa at the weekend. They could give anybody a go. They could give anybody a go this season. West Ham, as I've said, 
have been absolutely battered by every single Pep Guardiola team that they've come up against in recent seasons. They haven't even had a look in. It hasn't even been one or two nil results. It's been four or five nil virtually every single time. But even West Ham this season, they found a formation that works under Moyes. They've brought in a couple of names. They've got Mikel Antonio playing better than he ever has done before. And even West Ham can give them a game. The Premier League is just a better standard than it was a few years ago. And that is why City aren't City and Liverpool aren't as dominant as they have been because teams are bridging the gap. And I think that's inevitable. I was just going to say, I mean, with Manchester City, you've got to look at their record, though. So far this season, I mean, they're currently sat there in 13th beneath your beloved West Ham. But like, I mean, they, they've only won two of their opening five games. And I think if you actually look at those performances, I don't think they've looked impressive at all. And I think it's been a a sharp decline from from the start of last season to to now. And I, I, I'd agree with you that other sides are, are strengthening, but but I, I what what I would ask with, with Pep Guardiola though is do you do you think he's actually going to win another title with Man City? Or do you think that's do you think it's the end of the road? And to, as far as titles are concerned, does he win another Premier League title? Yeah, he he one hundred percent could do. I mean he could one hundred percent win the Premier League this season still. We've seen how open it is. No, there's six points. No. There's six points between Manchester United in fifteenth and Everton at the top. It's one of the most open Premier Leagues we've seen since Leicester won it four or five years ago. And City as well, they still have the potential on their day to beat anybody. Aside from maybe the game against Liverpool, they go into every single game as favourites still. They're still the ones to beat in every game. Yes, we've said that their squad maybe isn't quite as good as it used to be. They don't play quite as good football or they're not playing quite as good football as they were a couple of years ago. But they're still one of the top two teams in the league on their day. They still got one of the best squads in the league. I don't know who you've been watching. I genu- I have no idea who you've been watching since the start of this season. But you've not been... <laughs> I've been watching Manchester City and... The, ex- the, the the shell of themselves. I'm honestly going to try and tell me that they they play bad football. I'm not going to say that, but the results have been pretty bad considering the, considering the, the amount of money they've just spent as well. Not just in previous years, but this literally they just broke their transfer record to sign Ruben Diaz. And yes, they're probably not going to get a hundred points again. If that's the question you're asking me, I'll give you a different answer. Is he ever going to have a better season than the one he did in 2017, 18? No, probably not. Probably not. But could they win? Could he win another Premier League title? Of course he could. Could he win a Champions League? Obviously he could. You seriously think they could win the league this season? You actually think that? Are you you going to go out on a limb and say... Honestly deluded enough to think that they couldn't. We've run, we literally ran a poll the other six day. Point, they're six points behind Everton. We ran a it. poll. We ran a poll. They haven't, even played, they haven't even played them yet. If they beat Everton, that's, that's a three point gap. If they beat them home and away, then that six point gap's gone already. You're deluded. We're six, honestly. Games into, we're six games into the season. But they've not, they've, they've been in decline since the start of last season. And in five games, they've just not looked convincing at all. And it's not even like they've come up against some of the better teams in the league. I think, honestly, I think they beat Arsenal thought, last week. Yeah, I mean, you'd expect them to beat Arsenal. They did. It was only like a 1 0. I mean, fair enough. Congratulations. They beat Arsenal. What? They're going to win the league now because they've beaten Arsenal. Like, half the other teams in the league will what, you, think think Everton, you think Everton are going to win the league because they beat Brighton because Hammers scored a couple of goals and Calvert-Lewin started the season 
practicing quite well. No, but if you look at the way Everton have been playing, they still look a lot more convincing than, than Man City have. I think I absolutely will go out on a limb and say categorically, one million percent City will beat Everton when they play each other this okay, season. But okay, okay. but Mr. Going out on a limb, but do you do you think that how about this then? So do you think Man City could win the league? Are you going to go out there and say you think Man City could win the league this season? I think they could win the league. No. If I had to predict who's going to win the league now, I would say City. We ran a poll. If Van Dijk's going to be injured for most of the season, then I still think Liverpool are going to be up there because I think they're so good going forward. You think Man City think... will be Do you think Man City will beat Spurs twice this season then? I'm not going to say who categorically every single result you know, I think they'll probably be. I think they'll beat Everton. Yes, as but I said. Do you think, think on most days? Do you think they'll beat Spurs? I'm not going to say. Oh, they're going to beat Liverpool home and away. They're going to draw once with Tottenham and beat them away from home. They're going to put two past Manchester United, but be held to a goalless draw against Chelsea. I'm not about to sit here and predict their last 33 games of the season. I'm just going to say that I still think they're one of the best teams in the Premier League. I still think that other than that game against Liverpool, they go into every single game as favourites. And the fact that they haven't started this season that well, but eventually there's going to come a time where things click again. And when they do play well, they're pretty unbeatable. But you, you genuinely, do you, do you actually think they'd beat Spurs right now? They played tomorrow. Do you think they'd beat Spurs? Yes, probably. They beat Spurs. You've talked. You've already talked about how it's, it's set in stone in that. It's not. Oh, that team's better, so they're definitely going to win. We've seen that with the Premier League this season. Anybody can beat anybody. But do City have the capability to beat Spurs? Of course they do. Of course they do. Everyone can beat Spurs. Burnley almost beat Spurs last night. West Ham scored three against them in 10 minutes. You know, it's not as set in stone as that. It's not like other sports, maybe, where teams are so much better. It's not like if we're comparing this to rugby, it's not like me saying that Worcester Warriors are going to challenge the Exeter Chiefs because obviously they're not. Obviously, they're not quite good enough to. But in the Premier League, we've seen this season, maybe with the exception of West Brom and Fulham, that any team has the capability to beat Manchester City this season. Any team has the capability to beat Tottenham. But if you have to break it down and say, ultimately, across the whole season, who's going to be one of the best teams in the league still, then of course City are going to be up there. In our poll that we had on Sunday, only 2% of our voters actually thought Manchester City would win the title this year. 2%. So you put Everton in that Twitter poll. I put Everton and 18% of people said they thought Everton would win the title. So it seems that... Democracy. Who was that poll seen by? Was it seen by Everton fans? Was it seen by City fans? I mean, I don't know. I I mean, you're you're doing a dangerous. You're 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 treading a dangerous line here. By by you're not making an argument. You're just saying that you don't think City are playing very well so far this season. But who's to say that? I I think you're deluded if you think they can win the league this season. I'm going to go. Are you deluded if they're not going to win? They're not going to win the league this season. They've played five games. They're not going to win the league this season, mate. I'm sorry, but you've not. I don't know who you've been watching, but I've been watching Manchester City. And if they can't even beat West Ham, even after what you described as a tactical masterclass, that still ended in a 1-1 draw with dithering David Moyes and West Ham. I'm not having it. I think Spurs look better than them at the moment. I think still, despite their loss against Southampton, I think until then... Everton have looked considerably considerably better than them this season. I think Liverpool on their day are still are still miles ahead of them, even without Van Dijk. And yeah, I just I I don't think they can compete with those teams at the moment. No. You're unbelievably deluded. Tottenham are about three points ahead of City. Have you been watching Tottenham play? I mean what what they've been they 
What do you mean about? Of course, I've been watching Tottenham. I watched them last night, and yes, they've got good attacking options, but they're not exactly winning games that comfortably. But also, they blew a three-goal lead against West Ham, and they beat Burnley one 0 I wouldn't exactly say that you know that gives people confidence that they could beat a Manchester City. But you've also got to think about the team's trajectory. When you think about the fact that they've been they've been in decline since the start of last season, Tottenham right now are a team that's on the up. Everton right now are a team that's improving. Manchester City, seemingly since well, since they collapsed, they they bottled it in the Champions League and lost to Leon. I think they've been in free fall. I think it's fair yeah. to say since then. I, I mean, Answer me this: How many players in that Everton team get in the City team? Hammers. Yeah, and probably Luca Dean as left back. Maybe I'm 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 a big fan of his, and I think that City could do with a better left back. But other than that, so two. Calvert Lewin is is I mean his form at the no no chance. Yeah, he's in good form at the moment. It's got to be worth a look If you had to pick a fully fit, fully fit Sergio Aguero or Dominic Calvert Lewin, it's not even oh, up. No, to it's going to be Aguero. But I, th- I think, I think, if you're going to base it on form, then he's at least worthy of some sort of consideration. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's he, that he kicks Aguero out of the team, but I think I, I don't you're know. I, even even on form. There's three players in that Everton. Even on current form, with Everton playing better than they have done for years, there's I think three. Alan, Alan, Alan gets into that team. Does he? Yes, he gets through. What? I mean, look, he he walks. I'm sorry, but at the moment, he walks into that midfield. I'd put Hammers and Alan in that midfield. I think that I think honestly, Hammers won't play there though because Hammers is playing in the front three, isn't he? He is, but I'd, yeah, uh, he'd, probably, yeah. he'd probably get in that City team the way they're playing at the moment and the form that Hammers is in, but. There's a very, very few number of players in that Everton team that get into that Manchester City team. And that speaks volumes for how good their squad still is. And anybody, anybody who is discounting them this early on in the season is utterly, utterly deluded. One last point I made, though, does that not also say how disappointing Manchester City have been? That You've just said it yourself, they, and I agree with you. They have considerably stronger players. But they're not able to put in these performances. They're, they're, they're not playing as well as Everton are. Um, they're not in the same form that Everton are in, even despite their, their, their loss last week. And until that, they, they looked like the best team in the Premier League so far. I they've played five games this season, Rory. They've lost one game. They drew against a good lead side. They were pretty underwhelming for one half against West Ham. Tired after winning in midweek in the Champions League. And they've won the other two games, including the game against Arsenal. They haven't played anywhere near their best. There's That's 33 cool. games left this season. They've got their best centre-back to come back from injury. If you're honestly discounting them, you're a fool and you're a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, no, honestly, I think you're an idiot. I think, I think if, if you... I think if you think... Look, they'll probably still finish in the top four, probably the top three, but I just don't see them winning the title this year. I just can't see it. I think Everton, Liverpool and Spurs all look better than them and have done since the start of the Premier League season. Yes, it's five games, but they just look considerably better right now. They're playing better. And frankly, I think they'll finish above them. Moving on from football, we're going to talk Rugby Union and the Exeter Chiefs, who secured their first league and European double at the weekend as the AB Wasps 19-13 to win the Premiership title. It was just 10 years ago that the Exeter Chiefs were in the Championship. Now they've done the league and European double, as we've said. So where do they rank, Rory, in terms of greatest English club teams ever you've obviously got your Leicesters your Wasps at the in the early 2000s you've got your Saracens team of the last few years where does that Exeter team rank 
Well, before before I get into that, I would like to say I really I think it's an absolutely wonderful story what's been happening with Exeter. The fact that they've gone from being a championship side to going to the premiership. They've met so much adversity, losing in quite a few finals. And what they've been able to do this year by by winning the European Cup and the Premiership is fantastic, a fantastic feat. And in its own right, that warrants a lot of respect. And I think I think that that's a fantastic feat in itself. I think, I mean, look, it's not it's not even a hypothetical scenario. Saracens literally beat them in three premiership finals. And if it weren't for their their point deduction and their their penalty inflicted on them last season, they'd have probably won it again this year. And I think, yes, what, what extra has done what, what extra have done is is brilliant and, and we cannot take that away from them. I think you're deluded if if you genuinely think that Saracen that 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 side would beat Saracens or is is more impressive than Saracens were and have been what well, are and have been in the last few years. It's an interesting question, I think, because Exeter have clearly clearly been the best team in Europe this season, and I don't think there's anybody out there who would say they didn't deserve to win the Champions Cup, and there's certainly nobody out there who would say that they didn't deserve to win the Premiership. It was a great story from Wasps actually, who were sat before the lockdown second bottom in the table, and completely turned their fortunes around after the break, eventually finishing runners up. And it was a fantastic season from them. But even when it reached, even when it got to the final, I don't think there was anybody out there who was going to, there was, I don't think there was anybody out there who was going to doubt Exeter in that game. They clearly went into the game as strong favourites and they clearly deserved the double this season. But when you compare them to these teams of the past, when you compare them to the Leicester and Wasp teams of the early 2000s, it's interesting because those teams had a number of standout world-class superstars and especially English superstars. That Leicester team was obviously captained by Martin Johnson. The Wasp side was captained by Lawrence Delalio, two of England's greatest ever players. And they had a number of other world-class players in their ranks as well. Same with Saracens, obviously, Owen Farrell, Maro Atoje, they brought in. When you look at that Exeter team, it's completely different. Yes, they've had Stuart Hogg this season, who I would definitely put in the world-class bracket. But other than that, they've got a number of players who weren't necessarily held in that high regard, who Rob Baxter has almost managed to transform into world-class players and when you actually break that team down it's not necessarily that they're full of outstanding individuals it's just the way that all of these players fit into this system which makes them so good yes they've got a few England internationals they've got Henry Slade they've got Jack Noel on the wing but actually I'm thinking back to last season when Exeter were runners up in the premiership and Leicester finished near the bottom of the table and Exeter only had three players in Eddie Jones's England squad whilst Leicester had six and I think that speaks volumes to the fact that I mean some people might question Eddie Jones squad um, and probably rightly so but it does still speak volumes to the fact that it's not necessarily individuals which make Exeter such a good team it's the style of play the way they play the way this system just works for them the way they're simply unstoppable from five meters out and as you said as well it, it's such a great story the fact that 10 years ago they were in the championship so when you compare them when you compare Exeter to these teams I think it's a different category because I feel like they're a lot more likable than these teams because 
you know the way they've gone about things the way they've done the way they've done it it, it makes not, them more likely and not cheating exactly as you say i mean as far as i know they haven't breached the, as far as people know they yeah. haven't breached the salary cap so immediately when you're comparing them to that saracens team that won it a couple of years ago i would say that they're a better side than them simply because they've done it no, the right I, way i don't think that's fair to say i, th- I think look I, I think if if this exercise side that literally just i think if, the, if this exercise side who just did the double if they hopped in the delorean and then went and played saracens from from uh, 2015-16, I still think that Saracen side will absolutely batter them. No. Um, it's not even a hype. It's not even that much of a hypothetical. Saracens beat them in three in three Premiership finals. They literally beat them. It's not even a case of. It's it's not like it's not like comparing the the Wasps of the early 2000s to like Saracens back in in 2018-19. No, this is literally comparing them to a team who have beaten them repeatedly for the last few years. And in all likelihood, the only reason why they haven't beaten them again this year is because of that that penalty that they've suffered. They did still beat them this year. And Saracens still could have won the Champions Cup. They when, their season, when Saracens' season was over because of the point deduction. But their Champions so Cup they, season they, was over. They lost to Racing, didn't they? They could easily have won the Champions Cup. They still had the same squad. Yes, a number of players are leaving next year. I suppose you, you could consider they lost Ben Spencer to Bath, but essentially, you know, they've got most of their world-class names still there. They could easily have won the Champions Cup. The fact is that Exeter are just better than them now. So I would say at the moment, put them third on the all-time list. Uh, behind yeah. that Leicester team is number one for me. Which you know, which Leicester team? Do you mean the 2009 one who lost in the final? Or do you mean before that? No, I mean the early 2000s. The early 2000s. In that case, yeah. No, because in in that case, I'd, I'd agree with you that they're not they're not on the same level as them. And I, I just think that those Saracens, are, I, I think yes, what they did off the field with the breaking the financial, uh, by breaking the salary cap, should be heavily criticised, and I think deservedly so. They've been punished for it. But talking about how good that, just purely on, if we're going to talk about purely how good that team was on the rugby pitch, I think they were considerably better than Exeter. And I think for that reason, they were, they were able to have the upper hand against against Exeter for all those years. And I still, I, I, yeah, I, I think that that has obviously um, put Saracen's future massively in doubt. And there's a lot of uncertainty regarding the club now. What, what's going to happen to all their players? Are they going to go straight back up to the Premiership? Or is, it, is that going to be a struggle? We don't know. There's a lot of question marks there. And I think... That's the thing. You're speaking about Saracens here. Saracens were an amazing side. Or, I mean, where is that? Saracens are an amazing side. They have established... They have been the best side in England the past decade. No questions asked. It's not even up for debate. The past five seasons... Overall, have they been better than Exeter? Yes, of course they have been. They've beaten them, as you said, in three Premiership finals. But who has been the better team this season? Even with everything that's gone on, even with these points deductions, Exeter is still the better side, without a shadow of a doubt. And that is because over the past seasons, we've seen continuous improvement from that side. Every season, they've continued to get better. They've continued to strengthen, not always with huge, massive names. They haven't added Stuart Hogs to their ranks every single year, but they've continuously improved. And that is why, for me, even though I wouldn't rank them as the best English team in history just yet, I feel like they have the potential to do that because, especially with Saracens now being relegated, I do not see any team that can get close to them 
and I can't see them not improving. Well, look, can I you don't name me? Can As you I name said, me? they're pretty unstoppable from five metres out. With Rob Baxter at the helm, he's already spoken about it. If that side continues to improve season by season, they will become pretty unbeatable. I don't see any team who... Teams have tried and teams have failed to play against that style of play, and they simply can't do it. I've never seen a team quite play like it. I've never seen a team turn down penalties from 10 metres out because they're so confident in their line out and they're so confident from five metres out of scoring 90% of the time that they would turn down those three points. It's a style of play and it's a system that we've not seen from any manager or from any English team ever really. It's fascinating to see and I can only see them improving. So for me, they're not quite the best English team yet, but do I think they will be? I think there's a very, very strong chance. But this brings me on to my next point, though. If other teams are able to implement a similar style of playing, a similar system, you go on about this, oh, five metres out, five metres out. If other teams start doing that, but with better players, will they not just be able to be better than Exeter and do what they do even better than they are doing? No. And if they do, maybe they could do, but it's going to take years for them to do that because that's what we've seen from Exeter. You're talking about Exeter. You're talking about Exeter as if they're the next next dynasty in rugby. I think that's a bit rich. They are. That is exactly what I'm saying. I think that's what they could do because Saracens aren't even going to be in the league next season. And ultimately, you know, as I said, I think Wasps were fantastic second half of that season, but I still don't think they're that close to Exeter. They're the best side in Europe then there's not really anyone that close to them at the moment. And I think the best thing about them is that they're only going to continue to improve. Finally, we're going to move on to Formula One, something that we haven't really discussed that much on this show, but it's impossible to ignore the achievements of Lewis Hamilton last weekend. He broke Michael Schumacher's record of 91 race wins, securing his 92nd victory in the Portuguese Grand Prix and only his 262nd race start. Let's just have this debate now then, Rory. I know you're not much of a Formula One fan, but it's impossible to ignore his greatness here, really, isn't it? No, I mean, credit to him. He's that's a, that's a remarkable feat. Was it 92 wins, the most ever? He's gone back yeah. to Schumacher. He's he's a world champion multiple times, and I think he's yeah, he's he's earned that right, and he's he deserves a lot of respect for it. Um, my only issue is when people start making these ridiculous assertions that he's he's Britain's greatest ever athlete or some absolute that was going to be my nonsense. I mean, for a start. No, I, I don't think it's fair to say he's he's our greatest ever athlete at all. Honestly, I think when you have the amount, when you're going to compare him to, um, I mean, the likes of Johnny Wilkinson for one in the rugby world, or compare him to, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to compare well, him to any people. This, but. this is it. You're you're struggling to think of people to compare him to because ultimately there's actually not that many people who you can put in the Lewis Hamilton bracket. As we've already spoken about, I know you don't like him and people might not like him. I don't hate him. I, don't, I just don't. I, I, he's not my favourite. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to ask you the question of comparing him to Michael Schumacher because I know you're not a, a, a huge Formula One fan. And uh, I mean, even Formula One experts are struggling to separate them at this point. I suppose that's a question we can ask ourselves in a couple of years' time. But now that he has broken Schumacher's record and it seems pretty inevitable that he's going to win his seventh world championship this year 77 points clear at the top of the table in front of Valtteri Bottas now 
But there is the question of, is he the greatest British athlete of all time? Because I personally struggle, as I say, to think of people who you could put in that bracket, especially this millennium at the very least. Because I think a lot of people might raise the point of Andy Murray. Andy Murray has won three Sports Personality of the Year titles in the past decade, um, won multiple Grand Slam titles, won two Olympic gold medals, obviously a phenomenal athlete. But Andy Murray, when you break it down, isn't even in the top three tennis players of his era. And Lewis Hamilton is potentially the greatest to ever play the sport that he's professional in. When you consider as well the lack of Formula One drivers out there, you think that there are only around 20 drivers in the world who can compete in Formula One. Only 20 drivers. Compared to tennis players, you know, there's thousands of professionals. There's thousands. There's 20 people in the world who can compete in Formula One every single year. And he is the best of them. He is the best... He is the best driver of a car ever. When you break Better it than down, Schumacher. Really Better than well, that's the thing. It, it's, it's a hard question to ask. For me personally, yes, but that's because he's more my era. Uh, when I first started watching Formula One was in 2007 when Hamilton first broke onto the scene. He's the person that inspired me to start watching it because it was fascinating. He was this young driver who got his seat at McLaren and even in his first season outperformed Fernando Alonso, a double world champion at that stage. And I think even from then, people saw that Lewis Hamilton was destined for greatness, even if you didn't agree with his character and the way he conducted things. But as I said, I think that's a question that maybe we can ask ourselves later down the line. And I want to talk about Lewis Hamilton purely in terms of comparing him to Brits. Because you mentioned Johnny Wilkinson. Yes, Johnny Wilkinson will go down in history. Yes, he inspired England to win the Rugby World Cup. But he did that once. You know, he played for England for many, many years. He helped us win the World Cup once. He was injured for large parts of his career. And after 2003, he was never, ever quite the same player. With Andy Murray, as I've said, phenomenal tennis player, but not even in the top three of his generation. You wouldn't put any footballers in the same bracket as Lewis Hamilton because we haven't won the World Cup since 1966. You wouldn't put many cricketers in that bracket. You know, Ben Stokes later down the line, maybe, but not right now. Andrew Flintoff, who inspired England to win the 2005 Ashes, but after that went over to Australia in 2006 and lost 5-0. There's not many players that have had not only the level of success that Hamilton has, but over the period of time as well. I mean, he's had 14 seasons at the top of Formula One now as well. Yes, you might not like it as a sport. Yes, you might not like his personality, but you cannot ignore his achievements. No, I, th I think th I'm not ignoring his achievements. I think my issue is if you're going to say that someone's the greatest British athlete, he's competing in a sport which some question is, is a sport at all. And I don't think many people would say that it's, one of the national sports we have in the UK or anything on, like that. I think when you're thinking about the greatest athletes this country has ever had, often you'd think of our greatest footballers, our greatest rugby players or cricketers, some of the names you just mentioned. Um, I just don't, I, honestly, I, I just don't, I, I don't like the idea of having the, our greatest ever athlete be, be a Formula One driver. Where Because you don't like Formula One. Or because because you I don't, don't personally like Formula One. It's just, I mean... I think any in, in any case, in any scenario where there are genuine debates over whether it should even be categorised as a sport, and again, there are a few who would argue, even if it is, that 
it is a sport that would be regarded there are none who'd argue that it would be a national sport in the uk and i just think i just don't I, I don't think that's fair and i think also when you have these sports where he's competing every year and he's i, I mean if you're going to compare him to someone who's like an iconic figure, some of the likes of Jessica Ennis, she had to compete in seven separate events just to win one gold medal, for example. And I just think if someone's your greatest ever athlete, that just raises all sorts of different questions. I just, right. I just don't, I, I think, I think in any case, I would say in general, I think in any case where you have to seriously debate if any, I mean, I don't, is this coming from Lewis Hamilton that he thinks he's the greatest ever, or is, it, is this what people are saying about him now? He's he's achieved this feat. Is this I don't he... think Lewis Hamilton's saying that. I think yeah. Lewis Hamilton maybe maybe in his head thinks that. I mean, yeah, he's, he's entitled to. I mean, look, I, I think okay. you know he hasn't come out and said that he thinks he's yeah. the greatest British well, I mean, athlete. He's, he's clearly, look, he's clearly in... a lot of people have. Con- it's something which a lot of people have considered, and a lot of people genuinely believe. I think this argument that Formula One isn't considered a sport is growing quite tiresome i can potentially see the argument for some other sports but sport is literally defined as an activity which involves the physical exertion of the body and skill in which either an individual or a team competes against another that is literally what hamilton does you cannot say that formula one isn't physically taxing I mean, the G-force in these cars, the vast majority of humans, if they stepped inside that car and tried to drive it, just physically wouldn't be able to cope with it. I I think people underestimate how hard it is to drive a Formula One car. And as I've already said, there's only 20 people in the world who are allowed to do it every single season. Yes, it might be better to consider a footballer in this category. Yes, there'll be some footballers out there who are more widely known, but actually... Given that it's Formula One, given that it's nowhere near as popular a sport as football, as rugby, as cricket, it's remarkable that I would say, and maybe I am generalising here and I'm not backing this information up with statistics whatsoever, but I can absolutely guarantee you that the vast majority of people in the United Kingdom know who Lewis Hamilton is. Maybe they haven't watched many of his races, but everybody knows who he is. In the same way that everybody knows who Andy Murray is, everybody knows who Lewis Hamilton is. Regardless of whether you consider Formula One a sport, Lewis Hamilton has created a legacy and he will be remembered for an awful, awful long time. But we want to know your thoughts. We'll probably put a Twitter poll out there later on today. So do vote in that one if you can. Get in touch with us on our social media, on Twitter and on Instagram, at The Sport Bubble. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, it's been a good one, actually. Lot, lots of debate, lots of temper, uh, tempers flaring quite high in this one. But um, it's been an enjoyable one. But yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll catch you soon.